0: STUDIO! S! M! L! Welcome to the Studio SML
1: podcast.
0: In this series of candid conversations, we talk to some of the most established architects and designers in Singapore about how they got to where they are today, hear about their personal journeys and the highs and lows of running a design practice in Singapore. Enjoy the rest of this podcast.
2: If you have been to Violet Woon's kitchen at National Art Gallery Singapore before and wondered who is the designer behind the exquisite interior, it is actually done by a relatively young designer in her 30s, Shireen Tan of Lank. Lank is an 8-year-old interior design studio that has done some remarkable interior works focused on human-centric spaces. Today we speak with Shireen Tan on her design in pyjamas from the bedroom one-women show beginning. how she overcome teething problems to build her studio of 12 today and as curious as most creatives she shares with us her other loves in fashion art botany and occasional gluttony okay Shireen. so uh to start off the interview uh can you tell us
0: how did you start out in
2: design have you always known that you wanted to be an interior designer i
0: think during like when i was like finish all levels and I was trying to figure out like what am I gonna study? I think I, like many people out there were like, oh, what exactly are we going to do? Do we do business? I mean, do we do fashion design? So I think same for me, it was actually a little bit confusing during that period. But one thing that was clear for me is that I've always had an interest in design, whether it was architecture or fashion or you know, just design in general, that has something that has always been part of my childhood and, and growing up. So I, when, my, when my brother, who is about five years uh, older than me, and I saw him studying like uh, building management, that kind of sparked my interest a little bit. Um, and then that's where, you know, we started talking a little bit about what, what it's like for him to be studying um, design related and building management. Um, and then I thought hey how cool it would be if I was going to be an architect in the future. So, so then I think that's where I signed up for architecture technology, which, which was the only architecture thing available in Singapore at that point with Polytechnic with Singapore Poly. Mm. Yeah. And then from then on, that's where you slowly kind of just figure away, then you know your preferences. And then you know, then I realized actually maybe architecture is not my biggest love, actually it's more interiors. And then that's where I slowly kind of just skip towards interior architecture. Mm.
2: And uh, I understand that you, after the uh, polytechnic, you went to Curtin University to do yeah. your degree. Um, yeah, I did, oh, but I did it locally though. Okay, I see. So is there any particular reason that you choose Curtin?
0: Yeah, I think after um, after poly, you know, I was just like, oh, what's next? La? You know, I I do love architecture, but I don't love it to the extent of wanting to you know go and become a registered architect you know it was a little bit uh more technical and, and dry in that sense and I, I preferred things that were more fast-paced mm-hmm. so the the logical move for me was actually um interiors you know but and i think fortunately for me at that time Curtin had offered a, a hybrid course called interior architecture and then that kind of allowed me to jump over quite easily as well. So I think that's kind of how I stumbled upon that, and why I chose them as well. Mm, yeah, That makes sense, because a lot of the causes are interior Design,
2: mm-hmm. for, uh, like LaSalle and all the other schools. Uh. Mm. Yeah. yeah, So after you graduated, you have uh, interned and worked at companies such as Woha,
0: WOW, and Asylum. Uh, what did you learn from these companies? Um... I think with every company, I learn different things, and especially when they're at different stages in my life. Um, I think at Woha, I learned a lot about um, technical detailing. You know, um, I was I was uh, fortunate enough to you know have learned things like. Um, like, I think at that time they were working a lot on like, the MRT station, they were working on the St Mary's church and all that. So I like, get to see all these very intricate detailing coming from an architecture standpoint and, and that, that kind of inspired me a little bit though I didn't quite like technical detailing at that point. But I was just like, oh there's actually design and beauty in technical detailing as well. Um, and then I think with Wild Architects, um, that's my first exposure to hospitality actually. Um, that's also my first job as uh, interior designer, um, so non architecture related for me. And I think um, just being able to work on hospitality projects on that scale, then you start and you know open your eyes to see like wow, there's so many different types of materials, you know, that scale, proportion, and so. And that that's actually my early early years when I was um maybe in our early twenties, you know. So that was a huge eye opener for me as well, but I think um. Asylum is definitely a very special place, and, and you know a place that I hold very close to my heart. You know because I was there for a long time as well, and you know people there are like my second family. You know, so I think uh, Chris and 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 people like Kara and all they really kind of just opened my mind and, and changed my perspective about how we perceive design to be. You know, like as a student growing up, you just think like, oh, design is. Um, selection of wood law, selection of wallpaper, you know, space planning, you know, it's very technically driven, whereas Asylum because they're multidisciplinary, how they look at their projects is, is almost like ad, how ad agency does it, right? So, you know, you look at it from a client's brief, you look at it from a more like experience uh, mindset and things like that. So I think I learned a lot about that. And of course, the influence from their branding arm and all that, you know, just kind of influenced the way I, I draw inspiration from work as well. Mm. Yeah, so that was pretty awesome for me.
2: And uh, so what made you decide to uh, strike out on your own
0: uh, and start your own company in 2012? Well, to be really honest, <laughs> I didn't intend to. I was actually just like going to just take a sabbatical and I just wanted to travel. But then I was like, wow, okay, you want travel, better start saving and start you know, maybe doing some freelance work to like just earn a bit more. And then I think just one project became two, two became three, and then you know, it just kind of never stopped. And then that you know, just became a bit automatic and just grew from there. And then so you not know, like that. And then realized, okay, I better register the firm, right? Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it has something official going. Mm-hmm. And I think also, like, it's a good it's problem. A- yeah, it is a good problem. I mean, other than the fact that I didn't get to go for my sabbatical, lah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, but then, um, yeah, but I thought it was quite an, a nice uh, starting point for me as well because, you know, it was truly the first time that I got to do something uh, that, that uh, you know, I wanted full heartedly as well. You know, I basically get to call the shots, I get to like decide, I get to make the mistakes I made, you know, things like that. So it was, there's a certain sort of freedom in it as, as well, which I kind of enjoyed, you know. So I think that's why I also decided to, you know, let's try this out and like give it, give it my own and just see where we can go from there.
2: And uh, what does LANG stand
0: for? It's a very uh, unique name. Yeah, so um, it actually doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I used to have a fashion label called LAK. So it started before LANG? Yeah, it, oh. and it was a passion business that I just started, you know, and like, you know, just wanted and, and Luck was about creating um, very fluid-shaped silhouettes uh, for for ladies wear. Um, I I hated the whole idea of SML and XL and all that, so I just wanted to create a a brand or clothing range that was not based on any size. Mm -hmm. Um, So luck was kind of like free, like a bird kind of luck. So it had a nice ring to it as well. So when I started Lang, I was like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we could just kind of carry on this double A thing? um and then you know kara who's the creative director at asylum was like hey you know what let me design your logo that's my farewell gift to you i was like oh okay <laughs> so she kind of designed um, the double a's um, as like shelters and roofs and uh, we added a colon at the back to our uh, logo and that kind of represents that you know there's always a story to tell Mm. So I kind of figured like, okay, you know, the fact that that length don't mean any like acronyms or anything like that, it's okay because it's also a gentle reminder to myself that, you know, sometimes design, you don't have to overthink it too much or so, you know, don't, you just kind of just go with it lah, you know.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: Okay. Um, what were some of the teething problems uh, you faced when you first
0: started Leng? Um, I think... Um, I think when you when I started, it was it was kind of just everything happening at one go, you know that so much things and you, you know I'm so new to it right at that time and I I don't even know how to balance my books, you know for example, so it's a lot of learning on the job. At the same time, you are also expected to know all these things, so it's your learning curve just was kind of ex, expedited, right? Yeah, so I I think. That was one of the bigger problems that I remembered that we had, you know, also eventually, you know, as the jobs come in, you need manpower, right? And then it's like, you know, you can't exactly afford, you know, manpower at that point as well. So it's a lot of juggling, I guess.
2: So you were uh, uh one women show for how long?
0: Um I think for about six months and then I was like okay I can't uh, I'm dying (laughs) I I had no office when I started I was just in my bedroom in my pajamas 24-7 48 hours a day just you know like churning out work yeah so I think after six months I was like oh I can't take it anymore and then I I got a I caught up with a polymate that came back from overseas and I was like hey help me uh." and then that's kind of how we had our first hire okay and uh, what were the types of projects
2: uh, at the beginning? And how did these projects come about?
0: Hmm. Um, I have the worst memory, okay, but <laughs> just off my head. <laughs> my earlier projects were, um, I think I was quite lucky because um, I had some ex-colleagues uh, that also kind of branched out to set up their own firm, um, and they were from branding. So they had a few clients that were starting up new businesses, you know. So, you know, there was the opportunity for us to come in for interiors as well. And they they were very kind to kind of just recommended me and all that. Um, So I think our earlier projects, I remember, was actually a yoga studio.
1: Um,
0: And then I think slowly, slowly, um, when my brother also recommended some uh, jobs from Thailand. Um, My brother's based there. So he, you know, we, we kind of just got some context from, from his clients as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think eventually we started doing things like service officers. And then, there, then that kind of just led to like small startup restaurants and things like that. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, so uh, today you have uh, more than 10 people with you. Uh, do you have a business development person or team to do the marketing to ensure
0: like a steady flow of jobs? Um, I don't have a business development person. That, that's me actually. <laughs> but um marketing also, I don't think we have um somebody that's like full-time, but I did I did hire a Creative Strat um last year. Um and um creative strat, uh it's a role that is quite unique to to me at least, you know, it's it's something where we you know her role is to creatively look at uh, the strategy of the company and and the voice of our work you know the type of and things like that so yeah so thankfully i do have one person now that's helping me out with that
2: so uh out of curiosity as as you said this uh creative strategy role is uh quite uh quite unique what does she exactly do like does she have to
0: you know layers with client or she just tell you this is the wrong client or there's two parts to it there's internal and external so from an internal point of view we look at uh strategizing um internally like you know like in terms of manpower you want the type of people we hire what are the roles that we need you know or what are the processes that we need to change to get a bit more creative and things like that um and then also like if you thinks like pr and marketing so you know what she does is to Creatively strategize to see uh, what is actually best for us, you know, kind of like tailoring um, some of these solutions towards the, the current uh, climate of what we're doing. Um, and then there's also external, which also, um, you know, she helps us to look at our work from a, a creative strategy point of view uh, in terms of brand positioning for the client. So like when we design a space, right? Like how do we design it and why, what drives the space as well. So we have to look at it from a, a creative straight point of view also. Right, okay, got it. Um, okay, so the next
2: question is, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, for a lot of small studios as, uh, as you grow and you having started as a one-woman show where you do all the design to now you are overseeing a team of, you know, uh, 10 over people. Um, the, the issue is always that your, your role in really hands-on designing gets less and less. Uh, so is that does that happen to you or you're still very hands-on in your design or you're just more
0: like a, a big picture person now? I think um, length is in our eighth year now and um, I think up until just last year, I was still very much hands-on. Actually, I still am but I think mm-hmm this year particularly, especially since the pandemic hit you know i kind of realized also that you know eh, i can't sustain like that as well especially from a, a personal well-being so you know you know how can one person just be everywhere right like if you do 50 jobs you can't be in all 50 jobs right yeah so so i just kind of realized it, that it's not a long term uh it's not a good way to go about this long term and you know that's where i think now i'm actually going through a lot of changes in internally, where we change our processes, like how can I still be involved without having to attend every single meeting or having to like look at every single document or every single page of design and things like that. Yeah.
2: So uh, so you have more deputies to, to free your time up or how do you uh,
0: manage that now? Actually, I think the other way around. I think uh, it's about... Uh, grooming the people in the team that you have and giving them that um um freedom in and actually more trust you know in letting them do their thing and trusting that they have the capabilities and they understand uh, you know the dna of the company to just carry forth uh, what my intentions are
2: yeah so just to share this experience because i've gone through that stage also. so so first of all yeah it's about trust you know letting your deputies uh take more control so that you can do selective projects and uh, but you have to be mentally ready they will make some mistakes yeah you must be willing to live with it but you should take it that it's the same way that we grow yeah we make mistakes too so now okay. is that, you know allowing them that room to make mistakes while you you know uh suck it up like, when they <laughs> when they do but you have more time to yourself and uh, the conclusion for me is that it's still worth it
0: yeah I, I definitely agree I think uh, that, that first Big step of trusting, um, and living in the hands of somebody else. I think that's always the scariest part, right? But then once you do, after that, you know I'm feeling like I'm there's no regrets for sure. And I think the good thing is, you know, maybe because I've made a lot of mistakes in in my own career um, when I was uh, starting up, right? So like for me now, you know, whenever my team does make mistakes, we're quite chill about it. We're like, ah whatever money can solve let's do it let's you know yeah, if we exactly. have to redo something let's just you know yeah. yeah we just own up to our mistakes and we
2: we own it la yeah absolutely i yeah. fully agree with you i mean uh, for me is also that um you know sometimes uh when money is if it's a mistake that money can can rectify then let's just do that you know yeah and, uh, don't earn money is okay la. yeah. <laughs> as long as we can move on from it <laughs> well, anyway, in business you know you win some you lose some so exactly. not always a win-win so yeah it's, it's part of the game okay next question is uh you have offices in thailand and philippines um
0: how how do these branches uh come
2: about and how how do you manage them remotely
0: um i think thailand was because you know earlier i was sharing that my brother is based in thailand so a lot of the the, the business opportunities came from Thailand at the beginning so I think that's how uh, Thailand just kind of came about quite naturally Um, and then I think uh, Philippines was a bit of a a cute story I think like um, I had a a technical designer with me um, and he's been with me for many years Um, and then um, his wife is also based here in Singapore but she was with another ID firm um and then one night you know we kind of went out company drinks and all that and then you know party really hard and then had the killer shots all and then after that like i think um two months later you know he was like oh my wife's pregnant you know <laughs> from that <laughs> night so i was like wow you know so then this was already going to be his like what the third, third kid you know and his other two children were, were you know, brought up in Philippines by his mother and his mother-in-law. So then we just sat down and had this very real conversation about like, you know, it does, just doesn't feel right that you're here and, you know, they're there and then you're growing up and you lose all these like precious moments with them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had this agreement that um, he'll go back, you know, he'll go back earlier than anticipated, you know, but, you know, we'll start a Philippines arm there for them. So what we've done is actually built a Philippines uh, technical team there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, I see. Mm.
2: So you uh do you have to fly over there often or you leave it very much to uh, your brother and this guy to run the offices there?
0: Uh, my brother's not part of uh the picture anymore. So um, but um I haven't flown up there yet. Um I think um the Philippines team is about two years old only. So mm-hmm. it's actually just about before the pandemic hit. Mm. Yeah, so when we started Philippines, you know, we actually flew them down, um, sorted up stuff and things like that, and then, you know, we had that whole plan to fly up the entire company and all that, but, you know, pandemic happened, and then, yeah, so hopefully we can go up there, maybe, <sighs> fingers crossed next year.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your design philosophy, and how are these philosophies shaped? Um... I
0: think um, for the last eight years, you know, um, our philosophies has always been about how design needs to be for the people. Um, and when the way we approach the work has always been quite human centric, you know, so we look at it from a perspective of the client and the people that are using the space uh, or how they will react to the space, you know, and not so much um, like Oh, okay, this is the style of space that we want, or this is the style of work that we like to do or want to do. Um, So we kind of handle each project uh, uniquely. And that's why if you look at some of our work, we don't really have a fixed style, because we feel that the design is actually the answer to uh, the client's brief and the client's needs. Um, Yeah, so that has been our philosophy. we are actually going through a rebranding exercise now um, because after eight years i feel like being human-centric about design is actually a it's a given now you know it's a must you know so we are looking at about um a, a new philosophy of of you know processes actually um which is so i went through the whole you know relooking our processes with our creative strength things like that because we want to create an environment that's um that's more encompassing as well you know, it's not just about, okay, client wants something, then we design, then okay, nah, here you go, you know, how, how do we involve the client a little bit more, you know, um, how do we involve our own designers a bit more as well, you know, and you know, how much further can we take with, with some of our processes rather than just deadlines and, you know, okay, I take inspiration from here and then oh, this, is, this is what I do and that's it, you know, yeah, I would say processes, yeah, okay. So far in your journey, um, what was the lowest point? Um, I think it's quite hard to put a finger on exactly which was the lowest point, but I think um, I do remember at a point in my career, like, you know, halfway through where I felt that like, you know, there's just so much weighing down all the time, you know, you're just firefighting every day, you know, in and out. And then, you know, sometimes, like we have manpower issue as well. You know, you know, people don't really stay like for ten years anymore, you know. Of course so the turnover not. was one of the the big struggles that I had to go through. And I think whether or not um you know, I, I think like with things like turnovers, you know, you can you, you can't help but feel demoralized sometimes, you know, like what well, am I not doing right? Am I not giving the, the best environment to them? Is my work not inspiring enough? You know, so there's a lot of these um questions that you ask yourself. And then I think when you overdo it, sometimes you just fall into that little you know rabbit hole, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I do remember that at a point in my career, and I, I think I uh, that's something that I share with some of my other friends that have their own business as well It's something that we all resonate to a lot. Yeah. yeah I also resonate. <laughs> <laughs> Human power is uh is is
2: is tough. Yeah. People yeah. Can't grow and there is really no keeping them these days, especially with the millennials. Uh I don't know what's your experience like do you feel that the young people say getting shorter and shorter?
0: Yeah, you know I I think like the first maybe six years of length, I, that was my biggest struggle, like, you know, and I, I kind of just adopted that tone of voice where I kept saying, like, I am millennials, lah, you know, they easily bruise la, you know, they cannot handle hardship, you know, I say the same things that I hear that I read about as well. And then I think it's only in the last maybe two, three years that I felt like, hey, you know, like, this is our future generation, you know, if if I cannot understand them right then what how what am I even doing here you know so I kind of just try to change my perspective on that and you know I kind of spend quite a bit of time listening to what is it about them that they want what is it that they are going for what inspires them what motivates them and things like that and then I think slowly I start to understand it's not that they're afraid of hard work or you know they you know a lot of people like say they cannot suku, right but I think that's not true because I do you know like my team is made out of majority millennials right and they are the most hardworking bunch i've ever met you know Mm -hmm. um and i just kind of come to realize that it's they get inspired very differently they get motivated very differently um what what i consider valuable is very different from from what they consider valuable as well so i think it's just a whole new different perspective and it took me what a good six years to realize that also Mm Yeah, that's yeah,
2: definitely a lesson that we we all have to learn. So what is it that they value?
0: Maybe I could uh, take some tips from you. I think maybe like the way they perceive work, for, for example, you know, like for us, I think we belong to a generation where work is survival, you know? We've had bosses that we don't like, you know, we had design briefs that we hate and things like that, but we just do, right? Because that's that's what what is expected of us, you know? um and then i think like fortunately for some of us we also had the opportunity to do a little bit of both like work is survival but yet you have some room to you know figure out creative expressions and things like that so i think with a generation like, like millennials today i think they are looking for a lot of value in what they do you know if you ask them to design a restaurant right you know what what's so special about this restaurant you know if you expect such a such a wow, award-winning restaurant design, then you know, what is so special about this restaurant on its own is the is the client, you know, adopting a philosophy that's very different or very interesting. You know, is the client authentic about what they do? You know, so I think they look at it from a very different perspective. And actually I think a more authentic perspective than, than what we were. So I think that's why their perception is very different. You know, and you know maybe it seems like it's hard to please, but actually that they, they question themselves a lot more now.
2: So, so uh, would you say that they, they seek, uh, the, com- the conclusion is that they seek more meaning in their work?
0: Definitely. I, I think uh, everything's so fast paced for them, right? <laughs> you know, for us, we were from the Dalap generation. For them, it's like, you know, like they know a lot of things already. You know, everything's at their fingertips, right? So, you know, it takes a lot more, you know, to keep them motivated, to keep them inspired. You know, but that just is the way it is right now. And I think um, sometimes I feel like oh, I have to catch up. Actually, you know, I feel like I, I learn more from them these days. You and we're not even I, that old yet. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like my team really keeps me on my age, man. You know, like they're like, "Hey, Karen, do you know this, this, this?" I'm like, "Huh, what is that?" You know. So yeah, so I, I yeah, I think I think there's just so much to learn from each other, actually. Mm, definitely. And uh, so, on the other end, uh, what was the highest point of your career so far? Um, I honestly uh, when i when I think of a question like that, it it feels like small little wins, you know, um that just kind of led to a general um, general level of happiness, you know, I, I I can't find like that one highest point yet <laughs> but you know um i think we have many many good days um in office you know um whether is it like like last night you know we 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 were uh, one of our designers got engaged you know and we were like you know that was you know a high point for us and we were like anticipating this engagement for a very long time already you know and then the other high points are the like things like you know whenever we do go out you know like we you know, celebrate our clients' opening and things like that, and then we just have a lot of fun together. Like, my high point memories are usually things like that, you know, or like completing a very difficult project, for example, and then, wow, we go there and pop champagne, you know, that, that kind of celebrations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
2: cool. Um, what are some of the unforgettable challenges and uh, lessons uh, in the journey?
0: Was there ever a point in the journey that you thought, I uh, just leave up uh, then see? I think many, too many times, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta admit, right, then, you know, I, like, I I, do feel such, like having, running this firm or having my own business is a, a, an extremely lonely journey. You know, you share your joys with the entire team, but you know, um the the business side of things you know when when it's tough you actually suffer alone sure you know so i i think that that's been quite a lonely journey and um definitely have thought of giving up many times you know and i think the the most unforgettable challenges and lessons i think um it's a lot of self lessons um, Mm -hmm. you know i think things like learning how to run the business things like that you slowly pick up your own pace you slowly learn but i think along the way, you know, I just kind of forced myself to to look internally a lot, you know, and the more I look, the more I find, and then the more I find, I go like, wow, you know, I didn't know about all these things about myself, you know, so I had to just kind of unlearn that as well, you know, and also be able to kind of just go easy on myself also, because, you know, when you realize, oh, I got this flaw, I got that flaw, oh, I I don't do this, I don't do that well, and then you go hard on yourself, right, so I think that really eats up a lot of um of you, you know. So being able to unlearn that, you know, and just you know just go easy on yourself to just say, hey, you know, slowly, la, one day at a time, you know, believe in yourself that you can do it. I think that was probably one of my most unforgettable challenges. Okay. Um, which project or projects
2: uh do you think pushed uh length to its current reputation in the
0: industry? Um I think I think there are definitely a few key ones that kind of says, but I kind of saw it as like um, little um, little nudges that kind of just nudged us into where we are today. Um, but I definitely think um, projects like Violet Un, you know, uh, with them trusting us to do all the outlets in Singapore, and I, especially with the first one, I, I think that kind of just, you know, revealed our, our capabilities, you know to be able to tell um, or to share the industry that hey, you know, we actually can do a uh, work that's of a certain level and things like that. And I think that also kind of boosted our own confidence a little bit, la. yeah.
2: So uh, would you say that Violet Woon Kitchen is a breakthrough project
0: or breakthrough projects, a series of breakthrough projects for Leng? Um, yeah, I definitely would consider them one 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 of the brands that did. Um, and I think uh, what was interesting was you know our, our process with Violet One. You know, they they were one of our first few clients that was super involved.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I think when when the chemistry like that was there, you know, we, we I realized also that I really enjoyed the, the participation from the client. You know, and I I. I I realized that I'm not somebody who needed um, that that designer validation. Where like, no, the idea must come from me. Then it, you know, then then it means something to me. You know, so then I think because of that as well. I mean, externally I felt like yeah, definitely gave us a lot of exposure exposureship. Um, but I think internally also we realized that hey, you know, it doesn't have to be so one one sided all the time. Yeah, so I think that's where we started exploring. Like, oh, okay, how else can we work better with other clients? Mm.
2: What were uh, some of the other projects that you deem uh, significant for Leng?
0: Um I think um, Boathouse um, in Phuket. Um, it was a hotel that we designed um, in Phuket. And what was unique about it is Boathouse was actually a very traditional hotel in Phuket. It was the first hotel in Thailand that um, that brought in fine wines and fine dining and things like that. So the late king used to like celebrate like his special occasions there.
1: Um,
0: so it held a lot of uh, value to, to the uh, significance to the local community in Phuket. Um, and I think when we took on that project, you know, the client also took a chance on us, you know, they were used to working with big names who had a lot of experience in hospitality. Whereas we're like, the, oh, okay, this is our first hotel under like, you know, <laughs> so I think um, when we did what we did and then, you know, you just didn't think too much, we just did our best, you know, even with our concept also, we tried to do something that encompassed the local community as well. And I think uh, with the results, the client was happy. And then I think that because of the sensitivity that we put in the work, I think the locals in in Thailand started to pay attention to us as well. So I think that really tremendously helped us uh, um, be perceived uh, uh, a a more uh, international level as well, not just like a local firm in Singapore.
2: Um, Do you think projects like Boathouse and Wound help to define the direction or a
0: certain kind of standing for length? Um, I think not just with this too, I think like with every project that we do, it kind of helps us define, um, when you say directions, I kind of think of it also as like internal. You know I I don't just think of it as external styles and things like that. Like I think like you know as I was sharing earlier, you know, kind of just got us thinking like, hey, you know, maybe our processes can change, you know. Uh, maybe we can we can work with clients closer because the end results are great. You know, I think with boathouse as well, you know, like it got us thinking like, hey, okay, now we know we can do a hotel, you know, then you know what else can we do more? You know, you know, can we do a hotel that is not so expected maybe or can we do a hotel that means more than just a, a, a two-night stay you know so yeah I would say that every project does actually help define our direction as a company and as a whole.
2: Mm. Um which is your own personal
0: favorite project of length so far? <laughs> I think this one is gonna be really hard to answer because like you know they're like all your children. <laughs> <laughs> You got blood, sweat, tears into oh, all of you. them. We yeah, understand. Uh, maybe just a a
2: handful of favorite projects. Because uh, surely there are also the not so favorite ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Those maybe we, we keep one side under
0: the blanket. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think like the, I I I personally, you know, my my always say i very i in that sense because the projects that I suffer for or that we suffer for that are harder, more challenging, more tricky, more intricate, those actually become my favorite, you know, because of that huge sense of uh, accomplishment that you get when you finish it, right? Yeah. So, um, with no reference to clients being difficult or anything, but I think the the challenging ones from a design brief point of view, I think uh, Violet's definitely one. Um, to be able to kind of design the first Singapore identity restaurant that was really, really exciting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second one of my favourite is actually one of our recent projects, Wonderlit. Um, it's a children drama centre um, and the client had a lot of trust in us, in, in letting us kind of just um, be very free in creating what our, our, our vision is for that project. And I think it just turned out very different. Like, I, it's not something that you expect when you walk into a children's drama centre. So yeah, I would say so far this too. A couple many more, lah, but yeah. Um, do you usually
2: choose the projects you work on or you just take whatever that comes along? Um, and if you do choose, what are the factors uh, that you consider in
0: accepting a project? um we didn't have the luxury to choose at the beginning but i think we've been very blessed uh, to have stabilized enough to be able to choose now um so i i i think the factors that usually we ask ourselves is two things one is how's the client <laughs> 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 like this client can be friends or, not, or like you know or just, it's hard like, to tell though <laughs> it is right you don't really know who you, who you're going to you be with until you sleep with that person right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like um i think i think it's just a general vibe usually what i like to do is i like to meet the client but face to face um just hear the t- client talk about how they run their business how you know what their beliefs what their philosophies are you know just kind of get a gauge of them as a person first yeah, that's what what I normally do. Um, and I think if it's good vibes, it's something that we usually would be happy to go along with. Um, and then, of course, the second part to that is, you know, looking at what they have. Like, you know, if they are wanting to design something that is truly authentic, or is it one of those projects where, like, I, I just want you to design something nice, like, you know, that kind. So, yeah. How about the fee? It's
2: important, too, yeah? The fee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, would you like if it, they are not paying so much, maybe you know it's not worth doing because it's, it's a lot of work to do an interior design project.
0: Yeah, I, I think the, the math is something very important, especially when you're running a business, right? But occasionally I must say we do take in certain jobs even when the fee is not great. Um, like for example, um, I think about a couple of years back we did um we did a, a cafe called Seeds Cafe for for children on the spectrum. And they were trying to set up a cafe to train all these uh, children and teenagers so that they have a job eventually next time being in the F and B industry. So they can do like coffee barista, they can work as a waiter or waitress, you know, they can um paint artworks and display it in in, in a gallery, those things like that. And I think when the project is so meaningful, you know, things like fees, you know, if it's something that we can absorb we would la.
2: okay. So it depends on whether there is also a social cost to it, la, in some Yeah, way.
0: or sometimes we get clients that are, you know, maybe their, their budget is not great, you know. Mm. Um, but they have something that's so good behind their ideas, you know, or they are just such great people to work with and they have great vision and things like that. And so we just try to do what we do, you know, try to make the best of what what they have or what what they can afford. And then yeah, we just go from there. Mm.
2: Um, So for you,
0: which uh, genre of
2: projects uh, do you
0: enjoy doing most? I think generally I enjoy commercial the most, uh, which is why we have like maybe 2% on residential only. (laughs) (laughs) I think that my team shares the same sentiments as well. Um, But I, I think I'm a little bit of a... I like to try different things you know kind of person so like you know we've done a few restaurants so you know we've done a few retail as well you know and then we've done offices and then we've done um hotels and then we've done like um exhibition spaces and all that and then so other types of genres like things like maybe a church or like a community project or like you know or hybrid space you know those are the things that that get gets me more excited these days, mm. yeah, so because I just want to try different things and things that I've never touched on before.
2: Mm. Lang has worked on projects outside of Singapore, which you mentioned House, and uh, I'm sure there are many others. Do you find that there is a difference in culture which uh, affects the spatial requirements?
0: Um I definitely think there's a difference in culture. You know, spatial requirements, I would think it's more uh design brief driven. Mm-hmm. Um I think like for example, let's so if we talk about boathouse, you know, um the, the contractors we were with, the vendors we were with, you know, the, the hotel owners we were with, they're all quite different, you know. They I would say generally uh, working overseas is a lot more chill than anticipated, actually. <laughs> You know, they they do have like, you know, a pressing timeline and things like that as well, you know, but they're very embracing of new ideas. You know, they, they I think, especially working in Thailand, you know, they are a lot about their culture, which is great, you know, it's, you know, they embrace, they have this philosophy where they don't cut trees as well. You know, so when we were designing outside, right, it's like, wow, and the tree in the middle of the restaurant, okay, the restaurant needs to shift, you know. So, I, I, yeah, I thought these were things that were really inspiring and like very different from Singapore, actually.
2: Mm. Um, do you have to pay special attention to ensure that your design feels
0: uh, relatable for the locals? Um, yes, definitely. Definitely so. Um, I think, especially when you are designing on foreign land, I think that is one of our top priorities when we, we try and tackle uh, design there. Mm.
2: Okay. What are the main differences between working in Singapore and abroad? Are the clients' mentality different?
0: Um, I think on a general level, most clients or business owners kind of are on the same page when it comes to things like numbers, right? I think that's always important for for all clients. Um, but I think mentality-wise, I think. Uh, I think the ones in Singapore are a bit um they would compare themselves more to to competitors. Um whereas what I notice is overseas clients, they're actually really more more interested in like creating something that's truly of their own, you know, and they're not so stressed out about like, oh, so and so has done this as well, so and so has done that, you know. So I think that's quite an individualistic stand uh perspective actually, which is quite interesting to see sometimes.
2: Mm. Um, Earlier you mentioned that um, with uh, Violet Woon uh, Kitchen, one one of the interesting things is that it is is an establishment that should embrace a Singapore identity or that you have to create a Singapore identity for them. Um, How important do you think in general that uh, when you're designing in Singapore, how important it is to put forth this Singapore identity in your design? Or is there even a Singapore identity
0: um, to speak of to begin with? I think Violet is a very different project because it it was the client's brief that they wanted to design a restaurant that would represent Singapore. So Violet had envisioned to have a restaurant that, whether it is in London or in Singapore, when people walk by it, they understand, oh, this is a Singapore look, you know, and I I think. Singapore identity is not something that we can recreate for every project. For example, like if we do like like skincare clinics and, and you know dentists and things like that, it's it's not something that uh, I feel that we could just kind of fit in, you know. Um. So I think, but for restaurants that would you know embody the Singapore spirit, then that's where we we talk about Singapore identity. And I think that's where we also try to dig deeper, like, you know, Singapore identity, what does it mean spatially, you know, most times maybe, you know, for Violet, for example, it's like, oh, okay, there's certain aesthetics to it, right, like Pranakan tiles and all that. But I think sometimes uh, for other brands, we look at it more internally as well, like, you know, what does Singapore spirit mean? You know, sometimes you realize it actually has nothing to do with layout or nothing to do with material choices as well.
2: For uh, interior design of F&B and retail, sometimes you have to be a bit more out there to create an identity for the brand. Do you subscribe to the theory that form follows function or do you think that in interior design, sometimes function can follow
0: form? Um, I think a little bit of both to be honest, uh, but I guess uh, how I would perceive my work-to-be is actually more about using design to problem solve things mm. so a lot of times our design is actually the solutions to some of the problems that the clients have
1: mm.
0: yeah. so i would say maybe more function follows form actually
2: mm. Okay. so um how important do you think that interior design is uh in establishing the brand of a. Uh, company
0: or a shop or a restaurant? Well, I'd be just judging from how competitive everything is right now. Um, I think if your, your, your brand direction is set in, in a way where you need people to experience the space, mm. then I would definitely think, you know, paying attention to your interior design is something that's a must, mm. you know, whereas I think, it, you know, if it's. Even things like let's say offices now, right? You know, like gone are the days where offices are just nice for being nice, right? Now they even need to be pandemic proof and things like that. So I think crafting and designing the environment that you're in is always something that's very important. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that uh, social media play an important
2: part in the branding and marketing of a brand or a company? I think
0: funny you say this because. I remember how sharing like we're rebranding now right so like for the longest time I'm like oh social media is so important right yeah Instagram Facebook and all that and then I think in the last year I realized like actually maybe we can do without Instagram or Facebook because like I I guess it's really more a platform for us to just share our work you know and it but if you want to talk about things like If you're trying to market the company in terms of potentially bringing back leads then maybe instagram might not be the best platform for me personally
1: Mm.
0: yeah yeah so i do feel like even things like your marketing tools and your pr tools you know have to try and get a bit more creative these days
2: Yeah. so what uh what are these other tools uh, outside of uh, because social media seems to be so uh like the obvious choice for most people
0: so for you what are these other tools uh what are they well we're still figuring out what's the best direction for us um but I have seen some things that are quite interesting you know like you know I've seen uh, more videos now mm. and I think, You know, last time, if you look at, think of interior design, think of videos, right? They're all like, okay, this perspective, that perspective, you know, uh, how many rooms, how big the space, before, after, you know, that kind of style. Whereas now a lot of videos are actually more mood driven. Like, you know, the videos kind of translate a certain vibe and no words, nothing, no explanation, no talking about how fancy a design is. It's just a certain vibe. And I thought that was quite interesting, actually. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, You have also things like collaborations which are, are very interesting now as, as for, for like marketing or, or PR tools actually. yeah. So um,
2: for having been uh, in the industry for eight years, maybe in the beginning uh, you, you just go with the flow, but by now do you actually uh, kind of like have a branding strategy for Lang and like maybe uh, you want to be known for, you know, doing only certain kind of projects or, you know, so on and so forth?
0: Um I think the, the branding direction that we're going to right now, like like I said earlier, was a it's more focus-driven. Um like if you ask me what's our dream client now, it would be a client that is um that is uh collaborative with us. You know, it would be a client that is very respectful of the processes and not just of the people that work you know, as a, a part of length, but also, you know, respectful in terms of the entire process of the construction and everything else as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also, you know, if you like a dream project, whether is it going to be like a office or restaurant, I think the, the whole synergy of being able to come together and play together, I think that would be the dream project for me right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Interior design is a very competitive industry with a lot of uh, companies providing design and build services and cutthroat prices often. What is your view on this? And uh, what do you think can be done to better the situation?
0: Um, Yeah, it's definitely cutthroat. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely competitive. Um, What's my view on this? Um, I think maybe the good thing is that the more competitive it gets it also means that industry as a whole is getting better everybody's um, standards are higher you know so i think with that also it opens up um, opportunities as well even though it's competitive you know uh, like a lot more um, potential clients out there that realize the importance of interior design, you know, like you see after this, I'm not say after, but during this pandemic, you know, there are more people renovating their homes. You know, so I think that's actually a a good thing. Um, I think you will always have competition. There will always be somebody cheaper than you too. You know, and I think that my my view on that is that you just have to be very sure of who you are. You know, And if you are demanding a certain price, then you are worth that price. You have to make sure that you are worth that price, right? Mm-hmm. And I think just given time, I think clients do see that and that's where they when they come back. Ma, they will come back to you. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. And uh, talking about COVID, how did the peak of COVID uh, last year affect uh, your business or did it affect the way that Leng worked?
0: Um, yeah, definitely. I think like when COVID hit, we were all like, oh, you know, like nothing like just work from home, right? And then we, when our clients started to like tighten their belts, you know, we had clients that cancel project, we had, and you know, projects that were like three quarter done, they had cancel, they terminate contracts and things like that. So it was quite a scary period for us. I mean, that kind of sent me a little bit in a shock as well. Like, wow, what's going on? You know. <laughs> But I think we, I, I think the biggest thing we worried about was, you know, can we make sure that we keep our, our staff strength? I think that was my top priority in terms of how we get to resurface as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we just kind of just write it out and just do our best with what we could do. Um, we with our current, with the clients that chose to stay um we just made sure that you know the that whole design process and 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 even the build process is something that we manage to our very best efforts mm-hmm. yeah so i mean the good thing about the pandemic is we learn how to work a bit more remotely as well you know um i realized also that i don't have to be in an office 24 7 you know like, like everywhere around there <laughs> things like that. and it's like oh, okay you know so that that kind of just changed a little bit for us, and thought that was quite nice. But I think during that period, the best thing about that was also we got to just focus on non non-paying jobs. Actually, we created our own design breeze. You know, we imagined spaces uh, of what you know, let's say the future office or the future retail would look like. Yeah, and then just had fun with that love. So with this
2: uh, with this experience of the COVID that we are all working from home. Um, do you think that now uh, that you might consider like not having a physical office or um, you feel that the physical office is still very important?
0: Yeah so like, I've been seeing everyone downsize their office and everyone's like wow saving a lot of money for not paying office rental right and I, I was like wow how nice you know but when I've given it much thought you know I actually am quite I'm thinking the other way around I'm actually thinking of moving to a nicer office if we can. You know, because I feel like with our design philosophies of wanting to play together a little bit more, um, I think we would need a, a nice office space for that, you know. So I see this collaboration um, direction uh, essential. Um, and hence, I don't think I can do that remotely because I think even like, when we discuss ideas together, or just like recreational bonding, right? Having that physical space to do so, that that is quite important to me. Yeah.
2: On the on the client's end, um, did you uh, encounter any uh, like nowadays? The when the client come to you for a project, do do they give you a brief that hey, you know, you must take into account this COVID situation, this social distancing because this COVID might not go away soon, you know. Do you encounter changes in brief to uh, kind of like uh, uh, take into account
0: the COVID situation? Yeah, definitely. I think like as long as it's a restaurant um, Mm. or an office, uh, the one thing you hear in a brief consistently is can you please pandemic-proof this? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. I guess it's what they call the new normal, huh? But um, yeah, but I think like nobody knows when this situation is going to ease out you know you know even if we can start traveling next year or what you know so i think having that flexibility to just adjust accordingly i think that's always a, a, a safe thing to fall back on okay. Okay.
2: um since the pandemic uh breakout uh, until now construction cost has gone sky high <laughs> um, yeah yeah 30 to 50 even 50 percent more uh, how does that affect your business because you
0: know, uh, are clients coming to you to squeeze more, or how is the situation with you now? Um, I, I don't think it has affected our business generally, but um, it has um, it has definitely affected um, like brought on more client concerns. Um, but I think like it, what it does affect is maybe how we look at where we spend the money at you know so for example metal is something that has tremendously increased in cost mm-hmm. and so maybe we try not to overuse it or not to use too much of it you know we try and like look at what are some other creative materials that we could use in replacement of that mm-hmm. so like for example there is uh then we realize oh there's so many different types of pain that can simulate metal textures you know and then i think that kind of opens up possibilities which is great um but I think fortunately for us, we work with uh, a handful of contractors that has been with us the last eight years. And I think they've managed to somehow keep their pricing, actually. Um, but timeline, of course, is not capilla. You know, the timeline is actually 30% more or 50% more, which is not a bad trade-off, I think.
2: Oh, it's a, it's a, at least it's a good compromise. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Okay. Um. We we'll just touch a little bit about this uh, luck and lat. Um, so you actually have uh, the fashion brand which you mentioned earlier, and you also have a furniture brand Lart, lat Are mm-hmm. they both still um uh, in business, or they are now on the
0: hiatus, or what? Are um luck is is no longer in business anymore. It's physically impossible for me to manage <laughs> with the things that I need to do on the ID side. Um, but LED is something that is new and it's a passion, it's a passion business that Alvin Tan and I started. So LA with Lank and AT and Alvin Tan. <laughs> so that's kind of how it kind of formed together. And I think um, we started this because, you know, Alvin being an artist and also a good friend of mine, like. We are always talking and sharing ideas, and you know, I was thinking about like, wow, you know, the day in day out, I see a lot of construction wastage, whether is it like off cuts of marbles or like, you know, nice furniture that the client actually don't want and just throw away. You know, and then we ask, I keep asking myself, like, you know, very sayang la, right? Like, what can I do with all these la, You know, and I think it also like Alvin and I kind of love the idea that like let is an outlet for us to just. Do something that's completely different from from what we're so familiar with. Like for Alvin it's this artist work and then for unbranding um, work and for me is like like interiors, right? So when we we do a project on un- under that, right, the design process is completely organic. You know, we take whatever we have, you know, all these off cards and, and weird stuff, and then we look at it and we go like, okay, let, let's play that. And then we just sometimes we Lego it, sometimes we break it apart, sometimes we, we explore materials, we grind things out and all that. So, so I think that has been really, really fun. Mm.
2: So you have a workshop to do all this or how, how do
0: you assemble the, the, the things? I wouldn't say it's a workshop, but it's more like a storeroom, but yeah, we make do. <laughs> Hopefully next year we can install aircon.
2: <laughs> and and so far, how uh how are y'all marketing these pieces or is it really just uh doing it as a passion project and for fun, and how do you market
0: them? Um, Art now at Raffles Hotel has taken us in in the last two years. Um, so whatever collections that we design and, and we do, um, it's it's um it's exhibited at Art Now and sold there as well. Mm. And then I think um uh, we also do get inquiries about customization. Um yeah, so so that this is how we've been going about our retail aspect of it. Mm, I
2: see. You you also have a venture you started with three of your friends, the botanist and the thieves. Yeah. How did that uh come about and uh, what's the motivation to start this?
0: Yeah so botanist is actually with um um all my my uh, ex-colleagues at asylum i won't say all la. it's um cara mm-hmm. um, michelle and um Cheryl. so I think uh, we were all like really good friends right during my days at asylum and I think like after we after I, I left as well like you know we stayed in contact we were you still know, really good friends and all that and we I know, invited we... them over for lunch that day and then we shared this like passion for for plants yeah. you know Um, and we are like hey you know um, a lot of these like plant problems that we have mm-hmm. you know we actually kind of found experience in solving it you know like One example is, for example, like, you know, when we do gardening, it's super massive, all the newspapers, the wet newspaper, all that. And then we just decided to design a potting mat. Mm. And then of course, because we are all design trained, right? So when we design something, we also put a lot of heart and soul into designing the nicest looking potting mat you've ever seen, right? So so then we realized, hey, actually, uh there's a lot of uh, design solutions for the gardening community that we can provide and that's kind of how it started and then we thought it would be really nice to be able to pull together a gardening community as well yeah. because the people that we know love plants at that point of time were just very like very separated individual um you know or either that or we, uh, we were born with the the auntie who has her own private garden in the hdv plot and things like that so we thought how nice it'll be if we can start a brand that just kind of brings everyone together. Mm.
2: So, you ha- actually have a physical shop for this as well, right? Yeah, we do.
0: Um, I think uh, just this year, actually. How's the shop doing? Uh, yeah, it's doing great. Um, I think, well, we were looking at each other, we were like, are we crazy? We're starting out a physical shop in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> but I think because we've been online, we've been operating online as an online store for like the last maybe three years and then we thought you know one of our best memories when we are running that business is actually getting to talk to our customers you know like getting to meet them and then we become friends with them as well so then we thought maybe it's time to just kind of just take the leap and have a physical space um and just so happened, uh, we had a, a great offer from from um from a landlord as well
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: so that's been going well i think with the whole pandemic now people are more interested in gardening because during the lockdown everybody was just like picking up new hobbies and things like that yeah does, does
2: this uh botanist and the thieves uh synergize with uh, your work at length like are you able to specify some of the plants in your project or something like that
0: yeah it definitely does man i mean i never ever push <laughs> too hard you know but but sometimes clients who maybe google a little bit and they realize hey I didn't know this was yours you should have told me earlier then I'm like yeah yeah you're how you want plants (laughs) yeah Yeah. so it kind of just works out sometimes yeah
1: okay
2: is there anything or any business that uh, you hope to try out in the near future since you look like uh, quite an entrepreneur uh, (laughs) person and you have your hands in a lot of different business
0: So anything you would like to try? Um I I don't know whether it's going to be a business, but um I do have a huge interest in exploring materials. Um that has been an interest for a long time now, actually. But um of course, you know, with all these things happening, it's just like uh, I already so much things to do. And you know, if I were to start something, I want to make sure that I do it well. So um, but Exploring your materials is definitely something I want to look into, you know, um, especially materials that are a little bit more sustainable. Um, I think um, sustainability is a very interesting topic to look at, you know, this word is being thrown around a lot, but what is actually sustainable is, is a whole new different method altogether. And, you know, it's kind of like going to the supermarket, so like why do I have to pay like $12 for my organic lemons, uh, you know, <laughs> so why can't materials that are sustainable be a bit more affordable, you
2: know? Mm. So
0: these are some of the questions that I've been asking myself, especially since I started uh, led with Elvin. Mm. Yeah. So in terms of uh, when you mentioned
2: uh, mat- uh, you want to explore this area and material, as in like you would like to uh, import source for sustainable materials or what, what exactly do you mean by that?
0: I think it's just a little bit of everything, you know, like what are the potential materials that we brought into Singapore, or what are the materials that we could create ourselves, you know, just think of what are some of the collaborations with some of the suppliers that we're working with, you know. So there's a whole um, sea of opportunities, I think. Hmm, I see.
2: Um, on your Instagram, you also uh, constantly post about food. <laughs> only food, actually. <laughs> uh, only food, actually. So is it also an interest of you to, uh, to cook or to any
0: plans to go into uh, the food business? Um, no, no plans for food business because I I think, um, I think cooking has just been something that is pure joy for me. Like there's no work attachments to it since, you know, since the day I started cooking and I think it's, it's therapy for me, you you know, like how people find therapy in pottery and all that. Uh, likewise for me when I cook, I actually like, I enjoy that whole process. And it's very similar to creative processes, I realize. You know, there's a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of trial and errors. You have to embrace your mistakes, you know, things like that. So, and my mom's a great cook, So she's been a huge influence as well. And I, I think the best part about cooking is also getting to share it. So I do enjoy feeding people a lot, <laughs> you know. Like, I mean, before th- this whole uh, pandemic, you know, we used to get together like big groups of people, you know, Christmas parties would be huge and like, we would just feast our hearts out and like, yeah.
2: Um, you do also part-time teaching in uh, Thomastik Bali technique, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, so um, what as a, as a part-time lecturer, What do you think are some of the other skills that uh, that are important to teach to design students, besides the hard skills of design itself?
0: Um, I think in general, I always feel that there is a huge gap between a student that just graduated, and then plunging into their first job, and then realizing, oh, culture shock, like work culture shock. Mm -hmm. So I always find that there's a huge gap there. Um, so I think some of the softer skills or hard skills. Uh, there's a lot of um, opportunities I feel to look into that. You know, like um, even being able to expect to know what to expect when you are at work. You know, in in school when we study interior design, it's very stage driven. There's concept stage, there's design stage. You know? There's it. There isn't a problem solving element to it. You know, So like when you make your first mistakes, like for example, oh no, my table is too big or my circulation space is too tight, then what do I do, right? Mm-hmm. So I think these are the things that are some of the gaps that I feel like maybe, you know, might be important skills for school to take on actually to prepare the students for, for work eventually.
2: But uh, that is actually what the internship is supposed to train, right?
0: Supposedly, but I think internship sometimes is too short. I mean, the good thing is some of the schools now, they've extended it to like six months and all that, but I think sometimes even six months is, is not enough for you to actually really see it for what it is, you know, so I think school should actually consider internships for more than a year in fact, or like a bridging, a bridging internship, you know, instead of going for a full-time job, you should start working at all these different firms to understand what it's like, you know, what you even want for yourself and things like that. Agree. You,
2: uh, you mentioned to me the other day that you're also studying psychology at the School of Positive Psychology. So uh, what motivated you to take up this course? Is it a retirement job or like is it an interest in
0: you know psychology or yeah why do you do it um well to be honest it started with how should i use my skills feature you know like but, <laughs> you <got it. laughs> but then i just coincidentally stumbled across this um and this was something that my husband and i took, took on together as well like we were like hey that sounds really interesting and i think um it particularly sparked my interest because um I think being in a design industry for, for a while now, I feel like you know everybody's championing behind good work, you know, things like that. But I think this year particularly, my 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 eye-opening thing for me was, you know, I would like to look at a lot more about process-driven things, you know. Um even things like uh, mediation, you know, those are very interesting things that to me that I've just suddenly just kind of took an interest on. Um and I think, like, along the years or so, I've watched uh, or stood by a few people that have um, been very burnt out. And even I, myself, have been burnt out a few times as well. And and then, you know, I have to crawl out of that hole, you know. <laughs> and then, So I think with all the experience, you know, it just kind of got me thinking, like, hey, it would be really nice if I could champion behind um, the mental health of the industry, you know, more so than... Uh, you know championing behind the work that we create mm. so i mean i love both aspects of it you know i'm just thinking like you know studying psychology might just be an interest that you know just take on first and then just see where i can go with it uh. mm.
2: um with so much on your plate just uh wondering like how do you manage do you have any work-life balance or
0: like, it maybe... sounds like i don't work at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> um i think time management is something that is so very important when you're trying to juggle all these things and on top of that you have to juggle your personal time and your 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 emotional health and mental health as well right yeah. so I mean, for sure there are a lot of sacrifices made, you know, like I work on weekends as well, like on week- on Sundays I'm at the botanist shop, you know, on Saturdays I'm, sh- I'm trying to figure out that stuff and things like that. So I do sacrifice quite a bit of my personal time, but I believe in um kind of just freeing up time for yourself in between things rather than one specific day or one specific weekend, you know, so that makes it a little bit more manageable for me. Yeah. What's a typical weekday like for you? Uh, very full <laughs> but I do get up very early and um, I wake up at, at maybe 7 or 6 30 um, and when I'm up I just take a moment to myself first and then I usually deal with the hardest thing that I have to deal with on that day
1: mm.
0: so once I get like what I call the fat frog because I'm scared of frogs eh? <laughs> so I say once I get the fat frog out of the way or I swallow that frog then that's where the rest of the day actually feels a bit more manageable and easier Mm -hmm. so then you have the energy to like achieve a little bit more i feel
2: Mm.
0: right
2: um besides
0: cooking uh what else do you do in your free time what do you what do you love to do i take pottery classes every saturday morning Yeah, so I really, really enjoy pottery. Um, I started with hand sculpting first, and now I'm doing the wheel one. So it's really, really fun because I, I mean, I think you've been working on the computer for so long, right? And then suddenly when you do something with your hands, mm-hmm. you know, I used to do that with cooking, but then I realized I could do that pottery too. And I realized it's such a good feeling to have as well to be able to create something with your bare hands. And uh, you were talking
2: about uh, you know mental well-being and all that. Have you uh, so far experienced any burnouts uh, and how, how do you overcome it? I think several,
0: right? <laughs> 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 I'm sure, I'm sure many of many people would share this experience with me. Like I I think burnout comes um, more often than we think, actually. You know, sometimes it comes out of the blue as well. Um, but I think most of the like burnouts I experience is when I keep um doing something that is repeated keep doing the same thing and same thing over and over again that I lose sight of why I'm doing it mm. um and then I think that makes me feel a little bit uh suffocated and like you know I start asking myself you know what's this am I like tied to something for the sake of it you know then I start to feel a bit imprisoned by it and then that's where the burnout usually happens um otherwise you know it's like when there's just so much, so much, so much, you know, or when everything crumbles on you at one time, then of course that's where the burnout happens as well. Mm -hmm. But I think there's no uh, poetic way of overcoming it, I feel. I I think overcoming it is just giving yourself the time, Mm -hmm. um, having the support from friends and industry peers to just kind of talk you through it and just spend the time, you know, helping you out. And actually just talking to yourself a lot as well, like figuring out in your head, what's causing the burnout, what is it you like, what is it you don't like, you know, what brings you joy, what doesn't bring you joy. Yeah, and I think maybe just taking it easy on yourself, because I think sometimes as creatives, we are very, um, very anxious about perfecting things, right? Like, oh, you know, or, or feel the need to know everything, you know? So, yeah, so I just going easy on yourself, I think that's actually the one of the best ways to overcome burnouts. Mm. Okay. We are coming
2: to the last two questions, um, what are your plans ahead for Lang?
0: Um, well, regional expansion feels like it's something that makes sense for us. Um, but I think I'm at a place now where I'm still thinking, is that what I really want as well? Um, so I haven't quite figured that out. I would say. Um, but if there are some opportunities to to do work overseas, I would love to. Give it a shot as well um and i think like maybe near future plans for like is really just like i said earlier like uh, um, am really relooking looking at our processes you know how do i create this playground for for me and my team and my clients that we work with so i'm actually really excited about like doing that as well um
2: yeah cool okay last question the one that i always uh asked as an ending question. So what's your advice to uh, young designers who want to start up their own studio? Wow, start up real studio, okay. (laughs) There were many designers saying, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs)
0: Um, I think my advice would be to remember that you're running a marathon. You know, I think... um, the startup spirit is so exciting, right? And you know, you, sometimes when you don't realize it, you, you know, you land up like sprinting, you know, and then you burn out really fast. You know, you can be like 25 and you would have probably experienced two burnouts already. You know. So I think it's 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 going to be tough for sure. I think that's a given, you know. Um, but I think if you just keep to the never say die, you know. Um, Be kind to yourself, you know, Um, and then just yeah take it easy what comes comes what's yours is yours what's not your what's not yours is not yours yeah so hang in there, I guess.
2: (laughs) Okay, good advice. Okay, we are, uh, we are done with the interview. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I, no I know you are very, very busy <laughs> with all these things. I hear it, it was a
0: few <laughs> <laughs> you also feel torn for you. Know, you also, Thank you for listening to the Studio SML podcast. To hear the stories of more Singaporean architects and designers, head to www.studiosml.net where you can find out more about Studio SML as well as all our podcast episodes.